0: Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, If you have your Bible with you, or your phone with the Bible on it, or whatever, you might want to turn to Psalms 37 with me this morning. Uh, We will be starting there and spending most of our time there in Psalms 37. So as you turn to that, uh, just to kind of set the direction in which we're going, if you were to take time to read all 40 verses of this psalm, you would find out that David was in the later years of his life that he was an old gentleman at this time, and he had had very many experiences in life, and it's as though he is reflecting back upon those times, especially upon those times which which seemed just very uh, unjust to him, Uh, those times that he would hide in a cave from a king that he tried to support and tried to love, Uh, times that he would act like he was crazy so he'd get protection uh, from the enemies of his people, But he is dealing here in Psalms 37 with a question which has perplexed people from way before David to today. And I guarantee you I know that's a fact because I sit and visit with a lot of people and, and I'm just in that conversation as much as them. But the question is simply this, why does evil prosper and why do good people not? Why do we look and see people who have no concern for God, have health and have wealth and have what some would call a good life, and then you look at someone who you consider to be a person who is a godly individual, has a desire to please God and live his life for God, yet it seems like at every turn there's some kind of hardship and some kind of situation that just tries to knock them down again. Now, ours may not all be in this area that uh, David is dealing with, this idea of righteous and evil, uh, but yet I still think these principles that is in Psalms 37 apply to any time we look at life and we talk about injustices of life. Uh, I think probably each of us could probably write a list of things that we thinks just not right, things that we think is not fair. Uh, you know, we think on the world scene, as I was thinking about this, I thought about the world scene, the uh, persecution of believers today. Now, you know, here's men and women who's loving the Lord and serving the Lord and proclaiming the gospel, and, and they're being killed, they're being persecuted, they're being thrown in jail. It just doesn't seem right. just doesn't seem fair, does it? Or the sex trafficking situation in our world today. The way uh, those who have less are taken advantage of and... Uh, I, I thought of when we went to Bangkok and we met with uh, Chelsea there and she told us of how the religion there would, would pick the, if they had an all-boy family, would pick the, the boy that looked the most feminine and they would raise him as a girl for the express purpose that he'd go in sex traffic trade and make money for the family. That just doesn't seem right, does it? Where is the justice in that? We could think on the national scene, and I don't want to get political, and I'm, that's not my idea. But, uh, you know, we see people who seem to get away with everything, Every, everything in the world. You wonder, why are they not in jail? And, and, and yet you see some individual who maybe was raised with less, and, and he can't get away with anything, it seems like. It's just not right. Uh, why did they get in the school and not me? Why does their child get to play first team and mine sits on the bench? And you know, really, mine's better, you know? Just, just things like that. Like I say, it may not be great evils, but it's things that we, we ask why. why. Why is it this way? And, and we need to have answers for that. I know my kids, when they were little, they're not little anymore, but uh, when they were little, one of their favorite sayings, I think, was, that's not fair, you know? They, just about anything that would come up, that's not fair, and a lot of times, our answers, just out of being perplexed. We would say, well, life's not fair. You know? But really, I, I'm not real sure that's a real good answer. But David, in this psalm, this is what he is dealing with. He is looking at life, righteous against evil, and basically he's saying, why? Why is it this way? But what is really important for us today, and he doesn't get an answer. We won't either. To the why. But what is really important to us today is how we respond. How, how do we respond in these little injustices? And how do we respond when we look on the national scene and we see these injustices? How do we respond to God's children in a way which he is honored and which he is glorified? Well, David basically gave us eight precepts uh, in, in the first ten verses. And then he built on that in the following 32, which we're not going to look at all those. But that's what I want us to look at today. I want us to look at God's Word and ask ourselves, now how should I be responding in this? And don't tell me you don't see it, because we all do. Whether it be in our family or whether it be in our community or whether it be on the national scene or the world, we see these things that we think are just not fair. And what do we do? We sit around the dinner table and... And yell at each other because one thanks one and one thanks another. Or we get with famine and, boy, have I seen this? And and brothers yell and scream at each other. Is that the way we handle these things? So how do we handle them? I want us to think about that as we look at the first 10 verses of Psalms 37. Listen to what David writes. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself that tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. And though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Let's consider those thoughts together, okay? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you today... As we have had this time of worship and music, we ask you, Father, today, now that you would just help us be hearers of your word. Help us hear what was written here in Psalms 37. Help us hear the scriptures we look at today. May your spirit take your word, Lord, and work within our hearts and change where places need to be changed. Transform us from within in such a way that we will bring honor and glory to you. God, I know that this is a very practical truth that we're talking about, something every one of us in this place, being honest with ourselves, we experience on different levels. So help us see clearly today how we should respond in these areas. And it's in the name of Christ that I pray. Amen. Okay, David, as as he was writing this song, excuse me, as I said, in the latter years of his life, He gave basically eight principles, and we're not going to have an eight-point sermon, but I am going to point them out to you, okay? Basically, he pointed out three negative things that you and I who are God's children that we should not do. And then he pointed out five positive things that we should do. By the way, this is not a self-help sermon, okay? That's not what this psalm is. So don't don't look at it and think, well, pastors, give me a self-help. I hope this does help you. But it's not through who you are in yourself. So three things, negative things. I don't know if you picked up on it as we was reading through here, but three times the psalmist wrote, fret not. The first verse, the seventh verse, and the eighth verse, three times in ten verses, he said, fret not. Now, I realize that that is not a word that we use a whole lot today. Very seldom do you go up to somebody and get in a discussion and say, well, don't fret, right? We don't have a tendency to say that, but really... This is a very important word that's been chosen, used here in God's Word. It's kind of like anxiety. It's kind of like worship, but yet it actually goes beyond just being having a worry fit or being anxious about something. It is the idea of where you are just kind of fuming inside. It is the idea that inside you are having heartburn of your soul. Okay, It is something that is just really eating you up inside and it is affecting your thoughts and it is affecting your emotions and the way you act it's a really interesting word as i got looking at this word fret Uh, like i said we don't use it a whole lot but really fret originally had the idea of corrosion or corruption erosion It, it was used like the river fret its bank until it had a new channel now i know we don't use that a whole lot but that's exactly what the psalmist is saying Don't lie in bed at night and don't sit at your table during the day and drive your car and just think about this injustice that you see and just let it eat you up inside until it begins to change your character and it begins to change Who you are. And folks, I have seen that, I guarantee you, in my life and in my ministry, where people get a hold of something so tight and just cannot turn loose of it that it almost transforms them. That's a bad word used properly, but it changes them in a negative way inside. So when he's saying, listen, when you see these things in life, Don't let them just eat away at who you are. Don't let them erode your inside, cutting away at yourself. Now, in verse 8, you notice, he used that word fret not yourself also. It tends only to evil. One of the terrible things about fretting, and probably most of us have done it, we just didn't use that word, is fretting is fertile ground for doing evil. If you, have, if you are a person who, who you just get so angry and so ate up with something, very likely, if you don't handle that in the right way, it is going to lead to you doing evil. I remember early in my ministry, and I, I still don't have the book, I looked for it actually. I read a book, it was in one of these little series they did, Lifeway did about ministry, and it was called Killing Friendly Dragons. And I have always remembered one little phrase out of that book. That's about how my comprehension is, okay? One sentence out of a book. But I remember what it said. It said, when dealing with evil people, one of the dangers is you becoming like them. Now think about that. How many times has that been true? Even in our lives. When when we have dealt and dwelt upon something so long that our character begins to become just like what we are saying is wrong. You know, we don't like them because they lie, and pretty soon, so we can gather our army, we're telling little white lies. You know, we need to be very careful in this idea about fretting, letting things just eat us up inside. One of my favorite verses uh, dealing with this is in the book of Philippians. In Philippians 4, Verses 5 through 7. And actually, it's only the end of verse 5. And we couldn't do that on the screen. Uh, But the reason I... Just the end. Look look where the period is. It's after everyone, okay? I don't know why they didn't start verse 6. At left, the Lord is at hand. Because that is the beginning of the new sentence. So let's start it there, okay? The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, why that is such a special verse to me when I think about this idea of anxiety and worry and just being fired up inside in a wrong way is I love verse 7. When we go before God and we make our request known to God, trusting him, then the peace of God, what does it do? It guards our hearts and our minds. All right? You know what that word guards there is? It is the idea of a referee. And all of you know what a referee does in sports. A referee makes sure that you play the game within the boundaries of the rules, doesn't it? Okay, so what he is saying here. When we are people who take our anxieties before God, trusting him, then the peace of God will, our thoughts and our emotions, will keep them in the area of life that they should be. I love that. I want the peace of God to guard my thoughts. I want the peace of God to guard, to control my emotions. Because if the peace of God does it, likely what will is fretting. We will be anxious. We will be worrying. We will just be ate up inside about what we see going on. So that is one of the greatest verses, I think, that deals with that. So first he says, in a negative sense, fret not. Then the next thing he said in Psalms 37, is be, en- be not envious Of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, okay? Envious is basically the idea of wishing we had what they do and they don't. Or wishing anyway that they didn't have it because we can't. All right? That is the idea of someone who is being envious. And it can be about material wealth, it can be about position, it can be about power it can be about friendships it can be all kind of things but here's the thing about envy envy is a characteristic of the old nature envy is sin all right and when we find envy in our envy in our life excuse me it means that we are walking by the flesh and not by the spirit listen to what he says here in galatians 5:19 through 21 He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, which means all kind of evil, strive, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. That is terrible stuff, isn't it? But look at the very next word of verse 21. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then if you jump down to verses 25 and 26. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Not, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So envy, when we have the characteristic of envy within our life. What we are basically showing is we are walking in the flesh and not in the Spirit. We are going by what the desires of our flesh are instead of the desires of God. In Matthew 27, 18, it's not going to be on your screen, but that, that's when Barabbas, when they brought Barabbas up and Jesus, and they were choosing which one to, to uh, kill, to set free. And, you know, the crowd was really yelling, Barabbas and Jesus, the Scripture says, and Jesus was silent because he knew it was because of envy they delivered him up. Envy is a terrible thing to have in the life of a believer because what it does, it gets our focus on ourselves, what we do or don't have, and on others instead of on our God and our Creator. The third negative thing he said is refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Wow. Anger and wrath. When I think of wrath, I think of the full force of someone's anger against someone else and how many friendships have been just destroyed because of anger someone does something that someone else doesn't like and maybe not even know they did it and all of a sudden there is a disruption and and anger that builds up in an individual man how many jobs have been thrown into to chaos because someone's anger began to control them Spurgeon, I like what Spurgeon said here about these two words. He said, anger anywhere is madness. Here, it is aggravated insanity. In other words, he said, folks, there is no place in the life of a child of God for anger and for wrath. You know, think in your own life. How How many times in your life have you said something that, man, you wish you had never said it? Because of the disruption and the anger that it has brought into a relationship. You know, folks, I tell you what, God's Word has something to say about this. Moses was a fantastic leader. When did Moses mess up? Well, Numbers 20 says, when God told him to speak to the rock to bring water for the people, he went out, and in anger, he struck the rock twice. And because of that, he was not allowed to enter into the Promised Land. Anger is something that God does not want as a characteristic in the life of a child of God because it brings nothing good out of it unless we bow before God and we turn it to him and trust him to do that which is right. So he tells us three things there. Fret not, he tells us three times. He tells us be not envious. And then he tells us refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Now like I told you, this is not a self-help message, okay? And we see that in the positive precepts that he begins to lay out for us here in Psalms thirty-seven. And and I realize that what I'm sharing with you is not a final answer for everything that you might deal with in life. Uh, there might be other steps that you need to take in certain situations. But what I really believe, as I share these five positive positive precepts, I believe every one of them can comp- apply in every area of our life where we sense this injustice in our life. So let's look at what David said. In verses 3 and 5, he said, Trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. Right there we destroy the self-help idea, okay? It's the idea of trusting in God. It's the idea of a strong reliance, a confident trust in God. We believe His grace is sufficient. We believe that He is sovereign. We believe that He has all the facts. We believe that He knows what's going to happen tomorrow and 10 years down the road. And because He is our God, our Creator, our Redeemer, we place our trust in Him. A confident hope that He will keep His word to His children. Man, there are so many verses that we could look at in here where it says, uh, you know he where it says uh, he will bring it to pass. I thought of first Thessalonians, and I realize this is a kind of a sanctification and a glorification verse, but I think it shows the faithfulness of God first uh, Thessalonians chapter five verse twenty three and twenty four Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We serve a God who is faithful. And you and I who are his children who have experienced salvation, trusting him for our eternity, certainly then you and I should be people who who can trust him for our day, our tomorrows, and our future. Surely if he holds us in the palm of his hands, we can trust him. So the first thing David says is we need to trust him. Now I want to turn over to Philippians 1 verse 27. Which is a a great verse that goes along with this as well. And and this this leads into the, the next point that David said to us. Philippians 1 verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now the reason I wanted to read that is to point out to you that trusting God does not mean that we just sit on our sofa and we become spiritual couch potatoes, okay? That's not what trusting is. He talks here in Philippians 1, verse 27, about our manner of life. Some of your scriptures have conduct. Well, here's why I mention that. It's a very interesting word that is translated manner of life. Another word we get from that is the word police. Another word that we get from that, which I think really (laughs) applies here, and I'm not trying to make this political, but another word we get from that is politics. Isn't that interesting? He could have said, only let your politics be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I just mention that because, man, today in our world, even as believers, it seems we get so caught up in what the news says about this politician and and this debate and this and that. And, man, I've seen Christians just let that eat them up inside. And if we're not careful, we can become so passive in life or just argumentative in life or worry about everything in life that we don't do the next thing that David says. Look at the next thing he says in verse 3 after he said, trust in the Lord. He said, do good. That's that manner of life, okay? He says, do good. Live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Doing good is a great antidote to sitting around doing nothing except fuming, okay? Doing good sees beyond the actual circumstances, and we look to God, and we want to follow God, and we want to live our life in such a way in actions that it brings honor and glory to God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, i tell you what, when life seems to be going against us, One of the worst things we can do, which so often happens, is we become people who do nothing but look within ourselves. We look within ourselves and we see this person's not doing this and this person is doing that and and this situation is going on and the world is just against me. And folks, in no way does that bring glory to God. All that fits into is those first three negative things that I mentioned. We need to keep doing good we need to keep doing what is right we be, we need to be people who take god at his word and we need to be people who are not trying to take vengeance on our own romans 12 verses 19 through 21 i think fits her so good it says beloved christians beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine vengeance is god's god will repay says the lord To the contrary, now listen, this is about doing good. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. See, brothers and sisters, God calls us not to just understand the truths of God's Word. He expects us to live out. The truth of God's word. So he says, trust in the Lord. He says, do good. And then this next one, the third one is in verse 4. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. You know what? And you probably do know what it means when he says, delight yourself in the Lord. It means we find our satisfaction. We find our fulfillment. We find our peace in God. That is when we are delighting in the Lord. That's when our desires are pointed toward heaven and toward our heavenly Father. Instead of our desires seeking out into the world for fulfillment, we find our fulfillment in God. And once again, we we remind ourselves of that danger. So often what we do when life is unjust, we turn inward. And the scripture says, no, turn inward upward you know I want to ask you this morning I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand I'm not going to ask you to tell me but I just want to ask you to, to think to yourself what do you really delight in what, what is it in your life that you really find peace you really find satisfaction you really find fulfillment in yeah, I know some of you are thinking family and that's okay Family's a good thing. We have a lot of joy out of family. But you know the key? When we remember that family is a gift from God. So in delighting in that family in that way, we're delighting in God. So I just think that is something that is worthy of us spending some time in as individuals really stopping and asking ourselves, examining ourselves in the light of God's Word and ask ourselves, what do I delight in? Do I delight in Christian fellowship? Or is, is worship just become something that's just kind of a, a habit, but it's a good habit? Or it's something that I really, man, I delight in the fact that I get to get together with my brothers and my sisters, and I get to sing, and I get to worship, and I get to discuss God's Word. I delight in those things. Those are gifts from our the giver God who gives every good and perfect gift. See, I'm suggesting to you today that myself and all of us at times, we get so entangled up in the things of this world, we really begin to forget those things that should really capture our affections. So what are your affections captured by today? What do you delight in? And those things that are good, do you see them as a gift from God or you just deserve it? You've worked hard, you deserve it. Or you see a heavenly father who gives good gifts. So in delighting in what he gives, you're delighting in him. I I remember you've heard this, I'm sure, John Piper. He says, God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. When I delight in him. Now, I guarantee you, I'm pointing fingers at myself because probably none of us live our life constantly delighting in God. But when we are going through a situation like Paul, or excuse me, David is going through here in Psalms 37, he's saying, listen, folks, one of the ways to pull yourself up out of this self-pity is to delight in God. Think of who he is and what he has done. The, ne- the next phrase I'm not going to say much about it says, he will give you the desires of your heart. I'll just simply say, if you are delighting in the Lord, your desires are in line with his heart. But yeah, he probably does, or not shouldn't say probably, it says he does. He gives us the desires of our heart. So what's the next thing? In verse 5, he says, commit your way to the Lord. Commit is the idea of rolling off of your back onto someone else or something else, something that can bear the burden that you're carrying. That's the idea of committing. I thought of a. I got to go on a horse back hunt elk hunt up in Wyoming when I lived there and we got an elk and we butchered it and cut it up and if you don't like hunting I'm sorry just put your fingers in yours for a moment but uh you know we cut it up and everything we got it ready and we couldn't get the horses quite up to where it was so we had to put some on our back and we went down that stupid hill and all them trees and stuff stumbling and stuff Finally, we get to the bottom and that's exactly what we did we just rolled that meat off of our backs and onto those pack saddles. That's the idea of committing. I committed that burden that I was carrying and I had the smallest of everybody anyway. But anyway, I took it and I rolled it off my back and I rolled it onto that horse. That's the idea of what it means to commit your way to the Lord. You, you, You know that God has placed something before you in your life. And and then especially David, looking at all these injustices, he says, listen, man, I've got to take this burden and I have just got to roll this off of my back and I've got to commit it to the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He's waiting for you in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He says it this way. Jesus said it this way. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. And he used the picture of a yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see what Christ is saying to us as his children? He's saying exactly what... The psalmist, what David said here in his old age, and he's looking at all this life that he has experienced, and he is seeing evil just grow and prosper, and he's seeing God's people being pushed down. And he says, commit your way to the Lord. Man, how often in life do we need to do that? You know, these things that stir us up so bad and and really eat at us. How often we need to learn that truth to just roll that off of our shoulders and roll it onto the Lord. Now, I know if you're like me, you go back and you take it back and then you have to roll it over again, but still, God calls us to that truth. We know what it is to commit. Every time you get in a car, if you're not driving, you're committing your life into the hands of someone else. You get on a plane, what are you doing? You're making a commitment of your life into the hands of someone else. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Make that type of commitment with the burdens that you carry. First Peter is a great picture of Jesus Christ, and, and it's talking about suffering, actually, but I think it applies here uh, as well. For he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 21 to 25, for to this you have been called, talking about suffering, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Now, Jesus, that's probably the well, in looking at the world view, that's why the greatest injustice of history for Jesus, an innocent man, false trials, beaten and placed upon a cross, nailed to a cross. That is probably the world's great injustice if we look at it through the eyes of man. But listen to what he says. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But what did he do? He continued entrusting himself, idea of committing to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin, live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know what that's saying? Jesus committed his way His way was the cross. Pastor Drew read about it earlier when he started the service. Great injustice, an innocent man who committed no sin, but he knew God's way, and he committed his way unto God who judges right. Man, that is such a great truth that I need to practice, and you should practice when we look at life and we think like that old saying, you know, this is just not fair. Let's look at the fifth thing. This is the last positive thing. Verse 7. He said, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Wow. Be still. That means to be silent. That doesn't mean to go gather your side so you'll have more than the other side. It means to be still. It means to rest. And it's hard enough For us to be still, to be silent. And he had to add, wait. Then he had to put this word, patiently for him. Wait patiently for him. You know, time is nothing to God. It isn't. We may go through something for 20 years. But in the light of eternity, it is just a speck. You know, Jesus has promised his followers suffering. He has promised us that we are in this world, but not of this world. And we are going to have tribulations in this world just as he did. But he tells us to wait patiently. Paul Tripp, several years ago, I I heard a statement by him, and I, I wrote it in my other Bible, not in this one. But I got my Bible, and it says this. I love this statement about waiting he says, waiting is not just about what we get at the end of the wait. That's usually what we think about, isn't it? This wait's going to end sometime. It's going to get better. But listen to what he said. Waiting is not just about what I get at the end of the wait, but about what I become as I wait. Isn't that a great truth? Waiting silent before God is not so much God. Are you ever going to make this Right? But it's about what we are becoming as we wait. See, it's that inner transformation that only Christ, the Spirit of God, can do in us, and He does through us with His Word. I want to look at Romans real quick here. Romans chapter 4. I think it's a couple of great verses that deal with this waiting. Verses uh, 420 to 21. I'll find it. Ah, verse 20. No unbelief, this is about Abraham and Sarah. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Do you see what Abraham did while he waited for the fulfillment of God's promise? Now, yeah, he messed up with Hagar, and we know that. But that got corrected. God, God came and dealt with that, okay? But look what it says about Abraham, how he waited. One, no unbelief. He never wavered. He, he believed what God told him about the promise, that he was going to have a son. And not did he not only waver, but it says he grew strong in his faith. Remember what Tripp said? It's not the end, but it's what we are becoming, Is our faith being strengthened through this time of waiting? Are we dwelling upon God and and thinking of God and think of who he is and what he has done and what he is going to do so that our faith grows? And then it says he gave glory to God. He didn't didn't look only at himself. He didn't look within himself and see his own weaknesses. He looked to God and fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. There's how we're supposed to wait, brothers and sisters. We are supposed to wait believing that God is able to do what he has promised to do. He's not given us a time, maybe, but that's not really the question because it's about what we're becoming. It's not what when it ends. It's what God is doing in our life with his word and with his spirit, the transformation that God is doing within us as we wait that we need to learn to be people who wait. People who, as we wait, we have this hope within us that, that we hear so often, that certain expectation of good things to come. We just believe that God loves us as His children and He is able to do anything He wants to do. And we believe because He loves us, He's going to do that which is best. And we understand that we don't see all the facts. We don't see tomorrow. and We don't see next year. So we place our hope Our trust in our living God, Jehovah. We practice what Abraham practiced. We wait. We be still. Proverbs 20. Let me read that real quick to you. Proverbs 20, 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. But wait for the Lord. He will deliver you. Wait. I think that may be one of the hardest things to do and and live in our Christian life. Because most of us are people that we we do the doing good really well. I I mean, we know how to get after it and do things. But you know, there are times that we got to be people who just wait. And we trust God. That we see that whatever is going on, there's no way that we can change it. But we believe there is a God who can. I'm not telling us to sit back and do nothing. If God is calling us into some type of involvement in those injustices, we should do that. But man, we need to wait upon the Lord. We need to make sure what we do, we do in the way that he would have us to do it. So we wait. Three negatives, five positives. Fret not. Be not envious, refrain from anger, forsake wrath. The positives, trust in the Lord, do good, delight yourself in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, be still before the Lord, wait patiently for the Lord. All those positive things are pointing us to our Lord. So how can we live out these truths? And I probably don't have all the answers here. I'm sure I don't. Let me just share a few that came to mind. One, it's just a fact. Evil will always exist until Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, he will settle everything. There will likely be injustices and evil that we see today that when we leave this life, they will still be going on. You know, I hope not. There are some things and evils in this world that, man, I would just like to see ended. But, you know, Jesus came and lived a perfect life, went to cross, died and arose and ascended. But even after he did all that, they're still evil. And there will always be evil. There will always be things that you and I can look at and let upset us and let just eat us up inside if we will allow it to. So it's just a fact. There's always going to be evil. Second thing I would say is we need to learn how to practice these precepts. And I'll tell you what. If you can remember the number 37, this is not a super, super... You know, I've got to be an intelligent person to see this outline. I, I mean, in those first ten verses, there's three negatives, there's five positives, they're very clear. This should be a resource for us in our life when we begin to consider things that are evil in our life and, and how we should deal with them that we need to practice these precepts that David has laid out in God's word for us. We need to remember that God has not left us alone. That's one of the points that he makes through this psalm. We need to remember that Christ is interceding on our behalf 24-7. We need to remember that the Spirit of God indwells us to guide us and to teach us, to enable us to be and do all that the Lord would have us to do. We need to remember those things. And one thing that he really hit on in this psalm, was we need to remember God's eternal perspective. You know, I I would encourage you to read R.G. Lee's sermon, Payday, someday. You can get on the internet, look it up and read it. Or Psalm 73, boy, Psalm 73 is a great psalm that deals with that. But we need to get God's perspective on things. And I know some things, you know, I I just don't like. A lot of stuff that I see, I, I don't like it. But I'm not going to let it eat me up. I'm not going to let it guide my life into a pity party or into a a deep well where I see no way out. I'm going to see things I don't like, but I'm not going to put my focus on those things by the grace of God. i want to put my focus on on God himself, even in this idea of eternal perspective. I, I remember a story that I heard, and you may have heard it too. I just have always liked it. It's a story of two farmers. Uh, one farmer would never do any work on Sundays. Now, I'm not telling you, if you farm, I'm not telling you that's wrong, okay? I'm just telling you this one farmer, he would never do any work on Sundays. He, he thought Sundays was the day that he was going to vote to worship and gathering with his brothers and sisters. That, that was just his conviction, okay? There's another farmer, he could care less <laughs> about God. He worked every time the sun, every moment the sun was shining. He could care less about God. He thought everything he harvested was by his work and by the sweat of his brow. He never saw anything as something that God had done on his behalf. Well, there came a time when the, the farmer who, who would not work on Sundays lost his whole crop. A hailstorm storm came or something and just destroyed everything. Well, the other old farmer, he just happened to be out of the way of it, and he had a great crop he came over to the to the i'll say christian farmer he came over to the christian farmer and boy he was really rubbing it in he was really laughing about this god that he served and so forth i just always have loved this statement and it's this the farmer replied god doesn't settle all his accounts at the end of the month but be certain he will settle them isn't that true you know, is is that something that I mean it's the truth of God's word, I just said it differently. Is that something that you and I can hold on to as a truth from God? And and when we see things in life that are just not right, can we remember that truth that you know what? God doesn't settle all his accounts at the end of the month. But he does settle them. And I can be certain of that. I got time settled, share just a few verses here with you and I think are just great verses that go along with what I tried to share with you today. John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. Just as we think about God, I just, well, these are verses that just fill my heart with hope and confidence about, you know what, I'm going to make it to the end. I have some friends, they're not sure they're going to make it to the end. They hope they do. But you know what, I believe by the grace of God, I'm going to make it to the end. listen to what he says. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Not my will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I, this is Jesus, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. Listen to verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Did you hear those words? Man, those are words of such great confidence. You know, Christ didn't go to the cross hoping somebody would believe. He knew. He knew. And he knew that they were a gift from God and that he had them and nothing would take them away and he would raise them up on the last day. Now listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. We did this in our study last year, the book of 1 Corinthians. Starting September 9th, we're doing 2 Corinthians, by the way. Just an ad there. But 1 Corinthians 1, listen to verses 7 through 9. So, And he's talking about The gifts that God has given them, the grace that God has shown them, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, hear what he said. You're waiting for the revealing, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, listen who will sustain you to the end? Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear what he says, sir? You hear the promise that God is giving to his children? That in Christ Jesus, he will sustain you to the end. It's not about you holding so tightly that you're never going to turn loose. It's about by the grace of God, Christ will sustain you. Like the verses I read in 1 Thessalonians, he is going to sanctify you and present you complete before the Lord. You know, we we look at eternity. Man, if I had left everything off of here, all those other negatives and the four positives and just talked about having God's perspective on eternity, it should sustain us in the injustices of life. To know that by the grace of God, if you are a child of God, he is going to bring it to completion, your salvation. Philippians 1.6, isn't it? That he knows that which God has started in us, he will bring to completion. Life, yes, it is full of injustices. And if you're sitting there thinking, no, that's wrong. You've got your head in a hole in the ground. You're not seeing life. There's all kind of injustices in life. So it's not that can we stop them all. Jesus didn't stop them all. He will someday. But he didn't. You and I is not going to stop them all. doesn't mean when God calls us to something we shouldn't pursue an end to it. But what we do know is there's coming a day, like Paul said, when Christ is revealed, When he will present his children faultless before the Father. And we do know, I didn't read the verses. There are a bunch of verses that could be on the screen about what's going to happen to the evil. They will pass away. They will wither away. The wrath of God will come upon them. But not for God's children. Now I know much of the, the promises in Psalms 37 relate to Israel about the land and so forth. That's why I tried to show you in the New Testament there are truths in the New Testament that apply to us as well. That God is going to finish, bring to completion what he has started in his life. So there's two questions I, I end with today. One is to believers. How are you doing? How are you doing in this area of injustice in your life? Are you one of those folks that, that just... Everything that happens that you don't think should, it it just eats you up. That you lay in bed at night and man, you can't hardly turn loose of it because it's just got such a tight grip on you. If so, look to the Lord. Don't look within yourself like a lot of self-help self-help stuff says. Look to the Lord. Trust Him. Commit those things to Him. And when they pop back up in your mind, guess what? Do it again. Keep doing good. The second thing I might ask today is for those of you who have not yet believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What really do you hope in? You know, I talk to so many people about that. And it is amazing how there's just such a hopelessness in the answers they give me. In fact, a lot of them just say they don't have any hope about eternity. But we can have, why? Because of Christ. Because like the scriptures Pastor Jueger had, like the scriptures I read out of 1 Peter and John, you can have life in Christ Jesus. And scripture says that is possible and the Spirit of God brings conviction in our heart that we're a sinner. He convinces us of the truths of Jesus, that he was sinless he lived a perfectly sinless life. He went to the grave to pay, or he went to the cross to pay the penalty of debt. He was placed in the grave for three days, as the Scripture said he would be. And He raised on the third day, and he walked this earth for forty days, sometimes about five hundred people seeing him, and then he ascended on high. And someday he's interceding now, but someday he will return, and he will return as savior those who are his children, those who have trusted in him or he will return as judge so where do you see yourself in this whole scheme of life and eternity Christ is the answer not self help not pull yourself up by your bootstraps not do the best you can it's Christ would you pray with me please